We are in the middle of winter, both physically and politically. Next, Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principal Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Vice Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaelis. It's great to be back with you here, even though the day is crummy. That's okay. I've got a nice big hot cup of hot chocolate here. Right. Oh, and, you got uh, the hot chocolate. I got the you hot found chocolate, the hot chocolate yeah. in the in the Keurig. Yeah, in, in, in our studio, Chuck's got set up a nice Keurig. I know he keeps it nice and full of water, and he always also has a great stock of various things to drink. And so, hot chocolate just seemed to be the order of the day today when it's twenty four degrees out and there's snow falling. There are days, you know, I uh, I'm diabetic, so I have to be careful about, and it's getting what? What do you know? It's not getting any better. Well, I'm not, <laughs> knock on wood, as yeah. I do, and so I'll take care of your hot chocolate for you. <laughs> well, I still have one occasionally, or a chai tea latte. Well, there you have it. And I keep those around. I've actually got some Tezo chai tea mix in the refrigerator nice. that is delicious, and it also drives my blood sugar approximately through the ceiling. It's not so bad that I'll I'll fall over and go unconscious and go into the shakes, but it's bad enough that I've got some neuropathy. So when I'm in the summertime, it's interesting because I have to be careful because I can't feel the bottom of my feet real well. I can feel them, but I can't feel it real well. And uh, sometimes I'll I'll kick things by accident. You know, when I'm walking, yes. I'm like, that was kind of bad. But I, I'm not, and I open up my shoe, you know, later and take my sock off, and it's stuck to my foot because I my toe nails. Uh, yeah, I don't think yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody wants to go there. Yeah, so I mean that's how bad it is. But nonetheless, okay. Uh, but, we started but, talking about the weather, and we got into my well, diet, no, 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 my but, medical condition. But, but okay, but Chuck, you're raising a very good analogy point here. Okay, like you said, you every once in a while you'll do something, even though you know it might be bad for you. Yeah, because you enjoy it. I want to. Yeah, <laughs> you like it because you want to. Well, Chuck, I think that's a very good analogy for what's happening right now politically in our culture, because we are living through the other end of, of your analogy there, whereas mm -hmm. after the fact, we have to pay some consequences. That's right. Part of your consequences, if, you were, if you're diabetic and you start doing this more on a more regular basis, would be that you would have many other things in your system that wouldn't be working correctly or failing. And, well, not to put too fine a point on it, we're not just individually, not those who just pay attention to politics, but everybody in this country is going to start feeling the consequences of the desire to want to have something we like. All right? Because this last election was really, if you listen to many folks in our Corner of our the, circle, uh, our, yeah. our corners of the world, and I don't mean just uh, us and our conservatives, but I'm talking like larger Republican, independents, others. Their biggest complaint about Donald Trump was that they didn't like his tone, the tone police, as he, we, he, we, he tweeted too much, or he was he was nasty in what he said in his tweets. Okay, fine, I'll grant you that. He possibly could have been much more genteel and diplomatic. In what he was doing but he is his own personality so you had to either accept it or not 
And, of course, a lot of people, as we've seen, and you saw the folks like the John Kasichs of the world and other Republicans who ran off and endorsed Joe Biden and who lifted up the Biden banner because they couldn't handle Trump. And Trump has ruined our party. I am still hearing this to this day from Republican operatives who honestly don't really care what happens to the country as long as they can keep a payday. Well, yeah, exactly. And and they're moaning and groaning now because of the idea that Trump's left behind all of these people, whether they want to call them the Patriot Party or they want to call them domestic terrorists or they want to call them QAnon conspiracies. I've been seeing that going around now, too, that anybody who actually might say that they thought Trump was a better choice and is upset with the party, they're now being lumped in with the QAnon The QAnons, yeah. Uh, and we'll get into that here in a little bit about what QAnon's all about, because I'm sure probably a lot of our listeners don't have the first clue of what we're talking about. They've heard it. They've heard it. It's one of those things that's become a byword, and nobody knows why. We'll get into that in just a minute. But first, I want to say, so all of these people moaned and kvetched, and, and they ran away from Trump because they didn't like it. Okay, They wanted something that made them feel better. They wanted something to make it all go back to the way it was, i.e., the swamp. They got it. Folks, you and I and even they are going to be living it here for the next at least couple of years, if not longer. I would say we're recording this on Thursday, as we usually do. Yeah. Chuck, you've been out and bought gas lately for it's, your car. Uh, yeah, it's been like a yo-yo, but right now it's like way up. Well, it just peaked over 260 a gallon in Holy many places. Because you know me, I drive for a while to get here, and so I pass a lot of different gas stations in a lot of different areas and jurisdictions. And, uh, yeah, it's capping over 260 a gallon in, in many of the places. And, well, Chuck, there's a reason why. Okay? Well, first of all, the reason why it, 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 it scaled up from the below $2 a gallon that it was right before Trump left office to the now 260 a gallon well first was joe biden's one of his earliest executive orders and by the way folks joe biden has been in office now just over a week as of this recording okay seven days going on eight days he has already issued 40 plus executive orders and was supposed to issue more today the greatest number of executive orders issued by any president ever in the first week of their administration. He blew away, he, he became the record holder on the first day of his administration. Um, you see, Joe Biden is using executive orders to basically legislate from the executive office. Why? Well, because now he has Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer controlling things in the House and the Senate, and All they're talking about right now, Chuck, they're not passing any worthwhile legislation or actually dealing with any issues. They're all gearing up to, let's have an impeachment trial. Well, wait a minute. Can you have a trial without a presiding judge? There's something I want to talk about that's related. I I can see what they're doing. Yeah, I I can too. So, yeah, let's talk about it. All right. But 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 first, let's hold that point for a second. So Joe has issued 40-plus executive orders already. One of the first ones he issued was shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, the Keystone XL Pipeline. Yeah. That's a huge amount of the domestic oil independence. That's right. Energy independence. That, 
uh, infrastructure that Donald Trump had had actually fixed and put together so that America would never be dependent upon foreign oil and foreign influences on that oil ever again. That's the shale oil pipeline. That, yep. um, that is, uh, if you, you've heard of fracking, um, that is oil that came from fracking, which is yep. essentially pumping uh, some chemicals and some... Uh, um, some steam superheated steam Water, into yeah. the way way down like uh below three or four miles down and, and into and, the and shale again, fields it was one yeah. of the big thing that the environmentalist wackos who backed biden wanted as their their pound of flesh when he got into office was shutting down the keystone pipeline well they they actually there was another pound of flesh that they wanted and that's the reason why the gas prices chinged above 260 today because today biden is supposed to be issuing another executive order to ban Oil and gas leases on any federal lands. Uh, yeah, which will essentially shut off the energy independence pipeline. Yes, it will. Uh, which means that we will be we'll be back. Uh, we've talked about this. We'll be back uh, we, having we, Iran we, controlling that's how, right. how much we're going to spend for oil. And you already see the concessions that want to be made to Iran. Uh, we want to start paying and, them and, off. And Russia. And Russia. Uh, I mean, folks, the, you think the Saudis... Yeah, the Saudis have a big corner on this, but we don't get, just get our oil from the Saudis. We, we get our oil... Well, we did, up until Trump, until he started shutting them off because he started opening up American opportunities. That's right. But... Now we're going to be back to Iran and Iraq being uh, key key providers, Russia uh, being a key uh, provider point on our oil and gas. You know, we were selling oil and gas to Russia. Yes, under Trump. Think about this. It's going to go the other way. No, around. We're, we're going. Well, we used to buy a lot of our crude from uh, Mexico and uh, Venezuela. Right. And then we were able to cut those sources out, which really basically, uh, com- basically completely unnerved the Venezuelans. And if, uh, lest you think that that was a bad thing, it was not because uh, the Venezuelans are bad players. Well, and they're now completely embroiled in uh, what what we're going to be embroiled in soon yeah. if we're not careful, which is full out socialism. Where the government is basically taking control of everything. The only way they stopped a civil war there was by gun confiscation. What do you know? Um, But, uh, um, yeah, we've talked about the difference between an economic nationalist and an economic uh, globalist. Mm -hmm. This is globalism writ large. Yes, it is. They want us interdependent upon China. Uh, with China. They want us interdependent with Russia. They want us interdependent with all these other comp- countries. With the, with the Saudi countries, with, with the Middle East, with Iran and Iraq, yes. Because at that point, we have to deal from a uh, thing about wrestling. You have to you have to try to get out from under the hold. That's right. You're basically on the, the bottom position. You're not in the, the bottom position. position, and you got to figure out I how... I wrestled in high school, yeah, so see, yeah, so that's very familiar. I took a, a little bit in phys ed. I took a quarter of wrestling. And, oh, okay. And uh, you got to figure out a way to fight your way out of out of being on the bottom. Yes, and sometimes you have to do it by things that you don't really want to do. Yeah. Because they hurt, but it's the best way to get out from under it and to keep yourself from getting into a lock and getting pinned. The real problem was that Trump put us in a position where we were in the top position. Now... That's a good thing if you've got a good leader who's who's like, now look, 
we want this and this and this and that. We want these concessions, but it's not going to kill you, and it will actually inc- increase your trade. That's where Trump was dealing from. Yeah, it, it was, and it was starting to actually bear some fruit. Now, the problem is is that the solution that Joe Biden and the Democrats and his environmental activist buddies who, who helped get him in there and the Hollywood elites who were crowing about it right now are to, oh, we don't want that fruit, so we're going to take some dynamite and blow the tree up. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Not that the, oh, well, we'll just, you know, if somebody else wants the fruit, fine. No, no, we, we want to just basically do scorched earth policy and burn the tree up. And that's what Biden's been doing. And, and honestly, folks, it isn't just an energy independence. It's on family structure matters. It's on, you know, we're now going to go back to start funding international abortions because, hey, you know, it's we're, done. We're, that's how we spread democracy around the world is by giving people money to kill off their, their future generations. And it's done. And I, I'm actually hearing the left, the people on the left, making excuses for Joe Biden. Well, you know, he really is a Catholic and he goes to mass every week. And there's an interesting article today. Um, and it was over in Breitbart, um, and we'll, we can link it up on our, on our page. But it was from a Catholic nun who basically was praising Biden for his abortion position. Yeah, the, the Catholic Church has major corruption issues. There, there are a number of splinters uh, like, in, in the Catholic edifice. James yes. White, who is a, a, a Reformed Baptist apologist, uh, has had uh, numerous debates with Roman Catholic um, priests and 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 whatnot on uh, you know uh, the serious differences between the Protestant Church and the and the Catholic Church regarding mm-hmm. uh, and and what he has said is there are people in the Catholic Church who are livid over over Francis and there are people in the Catholic Church who are turning cartwheels because they're finally basically getting away from the actual Bible right. on these questions of... And basically what uh, uh, James White has predicted is that uh, Francis and Joe Biden will become great, big, huge buddies uh, because they see eye-to-eye on, on uh, socialist issues and because... Uh, frankly uh, um francis is a liberation theologist and he is a marxist mm-hmm. uh, there's no doubt about that all you have to do is listen to his rhetoric there are a lot of roman catholics if you have roman catholic friends who are conservative go talk to them about francis and they'll be right up front oh yes they will they'll tell you, some of them will tell you they they may hush hush it but they'll say he's an anti-pope well, okay, yeah, and we can get into eschatology uh, on that right. as well because you know we, I, we I didn't say about, antichrist. We, I did we, say yeah, but we can talk about antichrist and the fact that there's a lot more than one of them. Basically, the the anti-pope thing is is that he's a uh, he's a pope that isn't the pope. There there are other guys out floating around. There are all kinds of. If you think uh-huh. the uh, Catholic Church is a monolith. They like to make that argument to Protestants. They'll say you have thirty thousand mm-hmm. Protestant denominations, which isn't true. Nonetheless, uh, there is a lot of discord in, inside the Protestant Church. Guess what? There is in the Catholic Church, too. There, there are steady vacantists who think that there hasn't been an actual pope on the throne since uh, John the Twenty Third, or even before that. And there, there are all kinds of different um, factions inside the Catholic Church. Uh, that's neither here nor there. But it does have to do with what's happening you know what's going to happen as this goes along and francis continues to basically dismantle the mm-hmm. the basics of the catholic faith what is going to happen to catholics in the united states um 
you know, what do you do when you have a top-down structure and the top is is uh, corrupt? Well, that's why the the Protestant church has so many factions is because we have, in many of our churches, like Presbyterian church, we're not a top-down structure, we're a bottom-up structure. And from the bottom up, when we have corrupt leaders sitting in presbytery, you dissolve those presbyteries and you try the, uh, you basically have uh, um, uh, what amounts mm-hmm. to trials of leadership who's corrupt, mm-hmm. and you remove them. Right. That's that's usually the way it works. Um, you know, I've I've sat in on on trials where pastors were being uh, tried at presbytery for serious sin. Uh, some of them wrote letters and actually said, yeah, I did it, and I'm not resigning. Uh, yeah, I, I believe you me, I've been through those wars as well. I know you uh, have, because yeah, I, you I've, guys dealt with one of our guys well, who got thrown out with yes. us and got taken in by you, and he did the same thing over there. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, okay, well, anyhow, we're going to get off of that, yeah. all that structure. Right. But I want to get back to the Biden thing, because here he is, his like I said, first week in office, more executive orders than any other sitting president in history, okay? Yeah. George Washington didn't write as many executive orders, and he was the first guy, so Guess he had what? to actually write some executive I orders. I think George Washington <laughs> wrote one. One his entire two terms. Yeah, yeah. That's right. One. That's right, guys. Okay, so, but the point is, is that here's Joe, he's doing this, and of course his his uh, chief of staff, Ron Klain, is basically out there on Twitter, ba- yeah, Twitter, that's that place where they ban anybody who actually thinks yeah, for, right, for, right. for a living. But it says, basically, we're not taking executive action in lieu of legislation. Really? That's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, look, this we, is nothing new but, with Joe. He may not know the difference. But here's your spin. We are taking executive action to fix what Trump broke in the executive branch. So I'm sorry, how does shutting down a pipeline fix something broken in the executive branch? How does throwing money to kill babies all across the globe fix a problem in the executive branch? Those are all things that have been addressed by legislation. The Mexico City policy is standing legislation that liberal leftist yeah. Democrat administrations choose to ignore and try to downplay Trump, all he did was basically said, hey, we're going to go back to it because it was passed. That hits a nail on the head. What is the purpose of the executive order? The executive order is historically, legally, constitutionally, only to direct the operation of an executive branch agency or officer to do something that the executive branch thinks needs to be done within that agency or by that officer that is within the bounds of law and the Constitution. It is essentially the chief executive officer telling his cabinet officials to do your job according to the law. Exactly. Not to make new law. Nope. And the fact is that signing an executive order that wipes out the the Mexico policy, which is essentially passed by Congress and signed by a president of the United States, violates the law. It is an unlawful constitutional uh, usurpation. Yes, it is. Of congressional authority. Um, there are things... Uh, I can still remember Bill Clinton saying uh, there was a law passed that uh, required unions to allow people 
to uh, ask for a refund of their union dues, the portion of which had gone to political activity, to political parties they didn't want anything to do with, right. which was a matter of congression. It had been passed by Congress, signed by a president. It was yeah. a matter of the law. And uh, Bill Clinton uh, signed an executive order basically ordering the Department of Labor to belay and yes. not enforce that law. Never, never, never take that law up to enforce. That's the reason why you had the Janus decision that happened at the U.S. Supreme Court. So after about 25 years, we finally got the courts around to the idea that uh, it is against an individual's First Amendment rights to have a union basically take their money and spend it in ways that they find uh, objectionable. Huh, funny, going back to Thomas Jefferson's ideas about, you know, forcing someone to pay for something that's that they right. find to be objectionable. That's right. Now, we've got a case, Chuck, in Ohio that's coming up right now. Actually, it's going to the U.S. Supreme Court, okay? This is a case where a school teacher is filing a suit against their school district because they feel that the it is unfair for that school district to basically speak in representation for them in collective bargaining when they're using the bargaining chips to get things and like abortion coverage and insurance etc um and all of these things that they find morally objectionable very interesting piece though this one's coming out of ohio it's Thompson versus the Marietta Board of Education. Well, the Thompson is Jade Thompson, the widow of former state representative Andy Thompson, who just oh, died last year. That's right. Andy, who the OEA and the school systems opposed his election to office because he was a school choice guy. He actually, he was one of the guys leading the fight against Common Core in the legislature. Yep. So they're trying. So basically, his wife has finally gotten sick to the point where she and her attorneys are filing suit. Now they've gone up to the appeals court, and the appeals court says that she should win. But there's this case setting out through this Knight case that actually is completely contradictory to what Janice came out with. So basically, what they're asking the Supremes to do is harmonize. Guys, you've got two decisions setting here. You got a Knight decision. You got the Janice decision. They're contrary to each other. We're giving you a case to say fix it. Fix the problem, overturn night. Or go back and have the legislature do it. Now, I don't necessarily expect the legislature to do anything on it in Ohio or in Congress, but they really need to have these two decisions to basically figure out, okay, which one's taking preeminence? Because you've got a body of case law on one side that goes with night that says that the unions are the legal representatives of the of the uh, workers, and so therefore whatever the union does is okay. And then you got the Janus decision, which says that a individual worker shouldn't be forced to fund or use or, or you have money used for political speech that goes against what they believe. This one's going to be interesting to watch. Yes, it is. And most people don't even know it's out there. But what you're going to start seeing, start seeing some things from the Biden administration trying to bolster up, because you know they have a union problem already. Trump showed the Democrats they have a major union problem. Mm -hmm. This is their th this case could be the hinge pin on whether or not the unions finally break and I don't mean the union hierarchies because they're part of the swamp, but where the rank and file unions finally break away from the their what was historically a lifelong lock to the Democrat party. Right. 
just like you've seen in the African-American and the Hispanic-Latino communities, where those historic locks that the Democrats thought they had started faltering pretty badly under Trump. Why do you think they want to impeach Trump and they don't want him to ever run again? Because they realize he's got four years right that they they messed up. Their strategy, they screwed up their strategy. He's got four years as, as a free agent with lots and lots of money to go around the country and work in various entities to get people into Congress and the Senate and other places and build on that and, and point to what by I mean, do you think that the unions like the idea that 50,000 jobs just got lost because he shut down the Keystone, Keystone pipeline? pipeline? Do you think that the unions are going to be mad because they're going to lose a lot of jobs building a wall on the southern border or building pipelines and gas lines on federal land because he's shutting down all the leases? Listen, the economy in Michigan is already swirling the bowl. Well, that's been swirling the bowl for a but bit. It has started to recover under Trump, yeah. and then they got uh, the uh, Gretchen, the Wicked Witch of the North, who basically came in and essentially destroyed the econ- what was left of the economy, pretty much, uh, yeah. because their 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 large manufacturing. For instance, uh, if in case you didn't know this. Uh, I think Barry knows this. I'm not sure you out there. There is no such thing as Chrysler Corporation anymore. That's right. Uh, If I remember right, they just merged into a corporation called Stellaris or... Yeah, because it was Chrysler, Chrysler, then it was Daimler Chrysler because Daimler Mercedes-Benz bought them. Then now, and and then they spun off and and now they're back and now it's another holding company. Well, okay. It's Fiat Chrysler, Fiat Chrysler Peugeot. Right. So basically, if, you, if you're if you watching anybody who does an analysis, it's like three loser companies that come together to form a bigger loser. <laughs> is really, but Chrysler three is no... Three tastes that still don't taste great that's together. Right. <laughs> um, what What's the big deal about that? Well, Chrysler's shutting down uh, production lines all over the place, especially, you know, Detroit area and that kind of Michigan. Um because what's the point? You might be able to make it cheaper in Italy or China. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, they're all playing the game with China. My daughter had a car. She had a she had a Buick. Uh-huh. And I forget which it's one of the, you know, they all have it start with an E, Enclave. Yeah. Um the yeah, whatever, I don't know. yeah. The Enigma, I don't know. Yeah. Just, the Enterprise. <laughs> but yeah. she had one, and, and I looked it up, and I said, "This here's why she started having trouble. It got about 50,000 miles on it, and all of a sudden it's like breaking down every five minutes. I look, go to look, made in China. Her car was made in China. Yeah, well, that's not surprising. It wasn't even, was the parts weren't made there, and it shipped over here and assembled. Nope. Made in China, came over on a boat. Yep. And I said, okay, it's not shocking. Uh, and be prepared for it because Trump was trying was working hard to get that manufacturing brought back here. Yes, he was. So it could be done by workers and know what they're doing. Yeah, you can make fun of American uh, car manufacturers all you want and say the it don't buy a car built on a Monday or a Friday. Um, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, apparently built in China is far. Uh, you'd much rather have a car built on Monday or Friday in the United States than one built any day in China. <laughs> any day of the week in China. That's no, that's right. why that's why Trump was working to bring all that manufacturing back here. Now, you think about it, too, from a defense perspective. True. Where do tanks get built? Well, supposedly in the U.S. Well, 
What kind of a plant? Well, it'd be an uh, an armory, an a, arms plant, a truck plant, a truck plant that, that that builds heavy equipment. If we come into a situation where we got to mass produce tanks like we did in World War II, like we did the Sherman, yeah. the Sherman. One of the reasons the Sherman was a compromise because it could be built in, yeah, truck production plants. Sure, absolutely. no problem. Here's the plans. Bring it out. Uh, that's why companies like North American Rockwell made you know uh, mm-hmm. axles and blah blah blah. Again, North American Rockwell. Big plant in in Heath here. Mm-hmm. If you go by that old that big plant in Heath here. It's a big giant like fifty acre concrete slab because it's all torn down. It's no, all been torn down. That's no, right. No longer there. Okay. We also built in the River Rouge plant of of uh, Ford. What did we build there? We built uh, B seventeens. Uh, I think they built B twenty nines. I think they built B twenty fours there. Um, but the, it was big enough facility you could build giant planes there. On a mass scale, mm-hmm. Boeing can crank out planes, but they can't crank them out that fast uh, unless they have the facilities. Folks, we don't have the facilities anymore, as I just showed. Places like Heath, who had the big, who had a big axle plant, they don't have an axle plant anymore. That's right. So, Buckeye Steel Castings, Buckeye gone. Steel Castings, gone. Yeah. Um, and you know who one of the founders of Buckeye Steel Castings was? I think it was called Buckeye Steel or Ohio Steel or something. Okay, no. George Bush's father. Uh, George H.W. Bush's father. father. Yes. Uh, that plant there on the south end of Columbus, Buckeye Steel Castings. Mm-hmm. That was uh, one of the founding uh, members was George H.W. Bush's father. Okay. Uh, which is where some of Prescott the Prescott comp- Bush. Prescott Bush. Yeah. That's where some of the company money came from. We don't have that. We're losing those capacities fast. And I will be quite open with you. Globalists want us to u- lose those capabilities. Of course. Uh, they want us to be dependent upon. They would love to send all our manufacturing elsewhere so we're helpless. Right. Now, if you think that your congressman ought to stand up and say something about this or do something about this, well, let me just remind people. Elections do have consequences. And allowing this last election because you're so afraid of embarrassment or afraid of what the left is going to say about you to to basically stop, you know, basically let them get away with uh, probably the most corrupt election we've probably had in our lifetime in this country. And that is barring some of the Donnie Brooks in the 1800s. That's barring some of the early 1900s craziness that went on. And that's certainly barring the hanging chads and, and other things of the 2000 election. Folks, so we just went through the most corrupt, corrupt election cycle in the history of this country. Without bar none. And, and, and it isn't the first time, because I mentioned all those other ones, but no. you know, for the last 30 or 40 years... Our election system has been corrupted ever since we started putting more technology into it. Now, the problem is, nowadays, and you and I laughed about this offline, you had people say, well, we should just go back to paper ballots. That's the problem that's, with this election. That's how they stole this <laughs> election with they, paper they, ballots. They ramped up everything else and then threw in paper ballots as the padding on the cheating. And we can't, we're not going to go back. Let's put it this way. There's just, there's just no way of going back. And frankly, I don't see too many ways of going forward with no. this either, Chuck. Uh, no. It's it's just pathetic. But 
I mean, let me throw out another quote. This is this whole thing with Biden using executive orders, basically like legislation, which he's doing. Okay, no matter what Ron Klain or anybody else wants to say, they're doing it. But here's here's another wag on Twitter, basically backing backstopping Ron Klain's claim that, oh well, hey, you know, we're not doing anything wrong. We're just trying to fix some problems. And he says this, and he says. Imagine the editorial from the New York Times if Biden had not used executive orders to address urgent issues and instead had waited and waited and waited to get Mitch McConnell to cooperate with him. Bipartisanship is a worthy goal, but should not be an obstacle to the urgent or essential. That's kind of a funny claim coming from people who just last month couple months ago six months ago the last four years have been screaming about how not how not bipartisan trump was even though he was sitting and having regular meetings with both pelosi and schumer as the minority leader and trying to work with them on getting legislation done but now since biden's doing it by basically ignoring everybody oh well you don't have to wait on these people bipartisanship's a nice great grand idea but by golly we got to get things done around here so we'll just we're going to steamroll everybody think about this you 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 brought something up uh where uh people on this side of the aisle our side of the aisle and i i don't mean republicans i mean conservatives are throwing other people under the bus. Yeah. Now the Republican Party is coming out and saying we don't want these people. We don't want to be involved with these people. We we won't want anything to do with them. Uh, right. And they're throwing they're lumping everybody in to the same group. If if you don't believe that John Kasich is the second coming of the Messiah, then all of a sudden you are QAnon. You're uh you know you, you have secret pictures of Peppy the Frog that you keep under your pillow. Um, now Pe- Peppy's cute. Now, come on. I like Peppy. Yeah. <laughs> but here's what's going on. Now, what these guys a don't realize. Republican mainstream is mad because these are people that in the past they have manipulated into voting for people like. John McCain, uh, Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney, uh, John Kasich, John Kasich, yeah, let's George W. Bush, yeah, and H. W. Bush, and H. W. Yeah. Bush. Let's keep going down the list. I mean, yeah, you you got These, it. They have managed to do the triangulation on us over and over. This is how we got the, uh, one of the worst governors we've had. Although Bob Taft wasn't that long ago, listen when you, um, when you hear when you hear a Republican establishment hack saying the person's unelectable, or they're damaging to the party, yeah, or they they or they they're not they 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 will not work in a bipartisan fashion. What they're basically telling you is they're probably pretty good, solid conservatives, and they're going to hold to hold the gonna, Constitution. That's right, though. and we can't have that. Yeah, they won't. They won't basically make deals that that uh, flush your liberties down the drain, which is what well, these well, guys want. Well, they flush their bank accounts full. Um, that's what they said about Donald Trump, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely now, did. Did our liberty increase or decrease under under uh, Trump? And I would say increased. Absolutely. In so far as the Congress, the cowards in Congress, well, and, and it I'm, wasn't just the it wasn't just in so far as Congress. It was in so far as over 200 federal judicial appointments across all right. nine all nine circuits and and district courts it was three new justices of the United States Supreme Court we have yet to see exactly how much of our freedoms Trump may have saved 
by these appointments and by their rulings that are coming out. Now, some have been horrid. Okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's. When you but look at it this way, do you ever think we'd have flushed John Roberts out as being a, the leftist that he is, had it not been for Trump appointing three actual conservatives to the bench? No. Okay. Um. So you know we can disabuse people of the notion that uh, George Bush and company had any of their best interests in mind when when John Roberts got appointed. It's sort of like when Sandra Day Connor got appointed by. Uh, um, excuse me, Ronald Reagan. By Ronald Reagan, yeah. <clears throat> who, who who ought to have known better? Um, you know, she was a, she was a leftist, pretty much up and up until the most recent handful. Okay. Uh, he got hoodwinked by yep. the Federalist Society. The, one of the problems is the Federalist Society is just like any other swamp uh, outfit. Mm-hmm. There are good guys in it. There are bad guys in it. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, what happens is bad guys end up in, in charge. They end up on all the executive committees and the boards. Uh, the good guys are the rank and file mm-hmm. That's um, true. who can't get a smell of it because basically what happens is everybody listens to the opinion of experts. Basically, Ronald Reagan got hoodwinked on her by the Federalist Society. She got a high a high endorsement from the Federalist Society and was okay for, from the ABA, the American Bar Association. Well, for crying out loud, um, it's almost to the point where if the American Bar Association says okay, those, that person should be avoided like the plague and kept at arm's length. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. Um, we've had other... Uh, again, I think the Federalist Society was involved in uh, John Roberts. I, they're always involved in some way, shape, or form with some of these appointments. And again, that's not saying that any of the ones that Trump appointed are going to be like rock star perfect. But the point is, is that we are actually starting to see, especially in those district and federal and uh, the um, circuit court levels, that we're starting to see decisions that are coming out that are just shocking to people. In the fact that they're actually upholding the Constitution, the rule of law, instead of destroying it, there have been some. There have been a couple of decisions come out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Yeah, most yeah. liberal circuit supposedly on. I don't think they're the most liberal circuit anymore. Not I think anymore. The, the D.C. Circuit is the most liberal circuit yes. anymore. Yeah. But those are all have been results of the fact that when Trump came into office, one of the first things he did, and God bless him, was he looked at all the federal courts and saw how many vacancies there were because when a judge takes senior status that basically means they don't have to carry an active caseload anymore but they can they can take certain cases if they want to and previous administrations had just been letting those seats hold open for a while because oh you know they want to they they want to pick so and so or such and such and it's just not quite the time yet etc so they were letting a lot of these seats stay open and Trump looked when he first came into office, and I think they had a game plan. They took a look around and said, look at how many of these federal ju- If we got pe- people in there who upheld the rule of law and were originalist in their thinking, and as much as we can tell, what can we do long term for the country by getting jurists in these seats yeah. who actually understand the their roles, the separation of powers, the constitutional framework and hierarchy that we have in this country and started making decisions by it we're starting to see that yeah it's starting to happen yeah so what's the democrats response oh we need to expand the numbers (laughs) on all these courts yeah 
And they're going to try to do this. Now, Biden cannot do this by executive order. No. He'd like to. Trust me, he'd love to do that by executive order. They're going to have to have the fight in Congress to do this. But they've got a number of those little fights. They want him to give D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood. Um yeah, so be, they can so they can get a couple more Senate seats out of each and a, at least one House seat extra padded in order. But can't do that with D.C. because I think the Constitution, they have to change the Constitution. Yeah, they, they have to amend it. But guess what? They may not have to worry about that too much because we still have the group, the Convention of States, out there moaning and groaning about how we need an <sighs> Article 5 convention because of, of all the problems we have now that we have to fix. I Folks... They are the useful, I, and I. If any of you are involved in convention states, you know what? I feel sorry for you, but I'm going to say it: you're useful idiots. Yeah. Okay, you're being used by leftist globalist centrists who want to come in and tear up the one remaining pillar that's holding this country together. It's called a bulwark. They've tried. They've they've torn up the family. They've torn up our economy. They've got to tear up our, they're tearing up our government, but they can't quite get it completely done unless they tear up the foundation of the government, which is the Constitution. If Convention of States gets their way in a lot of states, oh, it'll get called. There'll be one get called, and it'll turn out just exactly like all of these situations have turned out with these election challenges. Oh well, no, no, no. You, you know, you can't do that. You can't. You, you're welcome to change rules anytime you want to. But when we get in here, then we'll do whatever we want. Well, I, I, I had a conversation with a friend of ours who will remain nameless. Yeah. The other day, who called me up because there's an effort going on in Republican circles in Ohio to basically have the county Republican Central Committees petition or demand that the state Republican Central Committee not endorse in primaries, especially in 2022 with DeWine up for re-election. Because they really think that there, you know, there's going to be a challenge if if DeWine actually stands for re-election. And I'm going to talk about this in a minute because he may be going to look yeah, at another seat Yeah, we've talked now. about this, yeah. We're, we may be going to another seat now. But the point is, is that they're trying to get the state Republican Party not to endorse in primaries, which is something they've started doing. I laughed with this person who basically said, is this an effort we should push around to other central committees? I said, well, you know, that's fine. You can do that. I said, but let me just draw you back to something. This is somebody who fights with us against this Article 5 garbage. I said, isn't this just a really lovely microcosm of, you know, showing them exactly that, okay, let's go ahead. So all these county Republican central committees will pass all these resolutions talking about how that, you know, they can't have, or they might even bind because, you know, a number of the state central committee officers, and it's one one man and one woman from each of the 33 Senate districts on the central committee, so there's 66 members. They belong to those, some of the, many of those county central committees. So what happens if that county central committee passes a strongly worded resolution binding their state uh, committeemen to not vote for endorsing in primaries? Nothing. <laughs> now, absolutely nothing, because what will happen is they'll go to the state central committee, which is a higher ranked body, body yep. in the party, and the rules are different there, and they can't be bound by something that a, a local county party posts on them. Even to the fact if all three of the, well, let's say in some Senate districts, you may be looking at 9, 10, 12, 15 counties in that Senate district. Right. Let's say all 15 counties pass this resolution against uh, and tell their state committeemen, you have to vote to not endorse anybody in the primary. 
That state committeeman can say thank you very much, collect all 15 of those resolutions, walk into the state committee meeting on a Friday morning, and vote to endorse Mike DeWine and others down the ticket because they have no control over them. That, and see, nobody can really grasp that. They and I laughed, at, and I laughed at our friend, and I said, listen, I said, let's go ahead and let them do it. And then we've, let's point out to them this is exactly what's going to happen if they call a constitutional convention. You think you can bind your delegates going to the convention, but once they get to the convention and the convention convenes, i.e. like the state party convenes on a Friday morning, all of a sudden you're playing by their rules. That's right. Not by your rules because your rules don't apply to them. Uh, we've, we've tried to explain this over and over and over. Conventions are run by the standing rules of the convention, which are passed by the, the delegates, the delegates the to the convention. Yeah. Now, as we've also said... You think you're going to be in charge of appointing delegates, and you're not. You are not. It's If you look at, at, at uh, Article 5 and read it really closely, yeah. you'll find that it's in the, it's in the hands of Congress, Congress not in the hands the of the states. Yep. yep. That's uh, right. That's right. And right now in Congress, with Nancy Pelosi riding high in the House and Chuck Schumer controlling the Senate with Kamala Harris as his backup— do you want them to control who gets to go to a con a constitutional rewrite convention? Under Article Five, they will simply take control of who appoints. Uh, That'll be it. And uh, or what they'll do is they'll go to the states. Here's the criteria. Yeah, and the only people you can send under that criteria it'll be well, obviously because all conservative thinkers and conservative commentators will be labeled domestic terrorists at that point. So we can't have them messing with our foundation it'll be documents. law professional law and policy makers and and uh, law school attorneys and don't forget university professors yeah and yeah and and so on and so forth constitutional okay. scholars quote unquote quote unquote yeah. um so anyhow i it's it's a crazy idea so after i got through putting that analogy up our friend just laughed and said you know, you've got a really good point there. And I said, so let them go ahead and move forward right. with this. And then when they right. see how fruitless it is on that level, then we can use that as a greater example to show them how fruitless, it, really fruitless it is on a level where it really is going to matter. Changing the cost, endorsing Mike DeWine for running for whatever dog catcher if he wants to run for by a bunch of party hacks doesn't rise to the level mm. of, of urgency of taking apart our constitutional form of government so we can implement full-step socialism uh, because yeah. we got rid of protections like your First Amendment, your Second Amendment, your Fourth Amendment. Um, and, and believe you me, folks, it isn't going to be limited to just a small handful of little items. We, you know that as well as I do. The first one wasn't limited. It was supposed to be. It wasn't. We're not going to go into all that, but the whole point yeah. is that here we've got this this dealio and i just i'm laughing because it's like yeah you know what maybe it's a good time they should run those resolutions get them to as many of the county parties as possible then they're going to realize exactly what we've been saying for the whole time because you got a lot of people in these county party structures that are involved with convention of states that they think that's the great salvation that's the hail mary pass that they can do to make it all right again we can fix the we can fix the broken budget we can fix the overtaxing we can fix all of the uh, ignoring the constitutional separations of powers just by writing a more strongly worded document supposedly and then telling them hey well you got to follow this one better than you followed the last one yeah good Cra luck crazy much okay yeah, good luck good luck but you know so but we have to i'm gonna switch a little gear here 
because we've got like something. The reason why I mentioned this thing about endorsements is because it's going to come into serious play here very shortly. That's right, it is. Because we have a, a lovely situation starting to brew in Ohio. Our junior U.S. Senator, Rob Portman from Cincinnati, announced earlier in the week, I think, or was late last week or early this week, that he has decided he is not going to run for re-election in 2022. He's done. He'll serve out his term, so there won't. So obviously he's saying that so that there's not like an appointment type situation, which could end up being ugly. That could happen, but it could happen anyway. So we'll see what's going on. But you and I speculated a little bit. That's right. That, that you know, okay, Portman's saying that it's too rancorous. There's not enough bipartisanship. It, Chuck. Go back historically and look at a number of these like big big time politicians who all of a sudden resign all of a sudden. What is the number one reason outside of family matters that they use for the reason why they're not going to continue on the in, in, in the seat? It's too rancorous. There's not there's enough, not enough bipartisanship. bipartisanship. That's yeah. exactly right. It's it's just getting too uh, too striated. It's too polarized. Well. La di da. That's what you're there for <laughs> is to right. represent. Yeah, you know what? Here's the deal, U.S. Senate. If it hadn't have been for a little thing uh, in the past in the 1920s where you basically uh, you stopped becoming creatures of the state legislature and started becoming creatures of the big donor class by having direct right. election of senators, which was another constitutional amendment that, that it was problematic you wouldn't have this problem because you wouldn't worry about right-left dichotomies and which one of your funders you're going to tick off because you want to take a position. You'd be looking back at your state legislature and the, the state executive and be like, okay, guys, what's best for the state? Okay, that's the way I'm voting. We order you. Basically, the state ledger, legislature would say, we order you to vote this way on yeah, this you, bill. You need to vote up on this or down on this. And if you didn't do it, they could recall you immediately and put somebody else there who will vote up on this bill and, and down that, on that bill. That did happen. A number of times. A number of, uh, especially things like the National Bank. Yep. The National Bank had, had made huge steps for, by, uh, um, shall we say, paying stipends to, to senators who were ostensibly from states against the National Bank and the states essentially said sent directives you will vote against the national bank and they voted for it i think seven senators at one point were recalled were recalled and lost their jobs well and as well they should have but you know in in today's day and age it's basically who's got the biggest war chest who can raise the most money who can kiss up to the most donors and it doesn't matter the ideology of the donor if you can convince them to fork over ten twenty fifty hundred thousand dollars you you're senator material now Let, let's talk about this for a minute what did uh, google come out and say the other day about about uh donations for senate candidates <laughs> any senate candidate who came out and opposed the vote the, the vote count they're not getting a google uh check Right. Now, you may think, oh, well, okay, so they're not going to get 10000 bucks from Google. Oh, no, 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 folks. We're talking millions. One of the yeah. reasons that no one has brought up antitrust, legisla- uh, antitrust um, right. violations against Google, big tech, yeah. uh, big, any, name a big tech company, one of the reasons they haven't done that is because they own senators. 
lock, stock, and barrel, and enough of them that that uh, uh, they're sitting on the FTC to keep them from doing antitrust um, antitrust work, even though it's so obviously a violation of, of the antitrust laws that it's frightening. Second of all, um, they uh, they're basically saying to those guys, either come under well, guys. Uh, now let's face it, Portman. Uh, if you watched any of his embarrassing speech after the riot, after the you know the yep. the riot in D.C. and the having to be, I, I don't blame those guys for being mad uh, for what went on there because uh, um, it was unconscionable. Nonetheless, uh, Rob Portman's ridiculous statements. Uh, I was all for recounts. Rob, you don't yep. seem to get the picture. It's not about recount. Of course, the recounts came out of virtually the same. That's not the point. What didn't? What you didn't do was subtract out the fraudulent ballots and then recount. Yep. That's what everybody's talking about. So you you've got guys like Portman who are sitting there looking. He's weighing in the balance. What's going to happen? He's got an impeachment trial coming up, and he desperately wants to vote to convict Trump because he's a globalist extraordinaire, mm-hmm. and he's a he is a creature of of his corporate donations. He doesn't care about the voters because he knows if he really wanted to, it would be him versus whatever Democrat they can they can uh, gin up. And at, from what Barry's telling me, the leading leaders in the Democratic Party are frighteningly. Uh, they're frightening to me, but they don't look overly powerful. But in today's uh, atmosphere, I just don't know anymore. I'll be quite honest. Mm-hmm. So that's what's going on. Uh, Portman's looking at it. He wants to vote. Uh, he wants to vote guilty on Trump. He knows that'll cost him his job. And he's telling his K Street handlers. If you don't know who, what K Street is, it's yeah. the it's the lobbying class. It is in, uh, in Washington D.C. That's where all the big uh, firms are on K Street. And he's saying, "Get the job ready for me," just like Boehner did. Boehner went and said, "You know, I have to sit out for however long it is, but uh, get ready for me." And he and he is now a he's a lobbyist. Um, they said, "Get the job ready for me," or uh, if we can get a Republican back in, maybe I, maybe if I do the right thing here, I can get an appointment in the Biden administration. You know, if you're far left enough as a Republican, in the in the interest of bipartisanship, we are going to appoint. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, we're going to appoint Rob Portman as an ambassador to you know, outer Gakmania someplace, or you know something along that line, just to keep his hand in because he was a good loyalist. Um, and, or he's saying to himself, I'll sit it out and, but I'm not going to kowtow to any, any conservatives and therefore I'm going to lose my job. The way he sees it, he loses his job either way. Yes, he will. And as Barry was pointing out, we made allusion to the fact that, that an appointment thing could be, uh, Rob Portman could step down. He very well could. In and, fact, and, it wouldn't surprise fact, me if it did. probably will at some point yes. or soon. Now, what happened is within the 24 hours after he made the announcement, you had this mad scramble and everybody starts speculating. But And, and so now you've got like a, an entire list of names, both in the Republicans and in the Democrats, of people who might be looking for that seat. Okay, And obviously the biggest name 
biggest name, I, I don't mean biggest as in best, I mean just biggest name in the Republican hierarchy is Mike DeWine. Ugh. Who has who was a U.S. senator until he made some stupid moves that got the people to vote him out of office. Removed by the voters. Removed yeah. by the voters, and now he wants back in, and if he can get in, guess who makes an appointment when a U.S. senator steps down? That's right, a governor. The governor does. That's right. So he can appoint himself. He can get back to D.C. He could be back in his cushy job playing his gang of eight garbage with his leftist buddies that he loves. And kiss Ohio goodbye and leave us in the lurch from all the economic damage and destruction he's wreaked with his daily COVID garbage press releases and press conferences. You can tell I'm not a real big fan of DeWine. No. Um, but then that leaves Johnny Johnny Houston, his lieutenant governor, who has announced that he's not seeking the U.S. Senate seat, mainly because I think he's realizing that likely his likely opponent in a primary is one Jim Jordan, who is looking at it at this point That's in right. time. And if it's a choice between John Houston and Jim Jordan, John Houston loses. Oh, yeah. Period. He loses. Now, you've got other people, Jim Renacci, who'd been sniffing around about governor t- taking on DeWine in a primary, might consider that he maybe want to go back to D.C. like he didn't want to, and then he did want to last time it came That's up. That's right. <laughs> And, and when he ran, when he ran against Sherrod Brown and got his rear end kicked, that's right. Um, he did too, and he did. Uh, but so Renacy may, you know, he, one way or the other, Renacy's looking for a place to land. Okay. Um, you've also got um, Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State, who's who's kind of intimated without publicly announcing that he's not interested in it. And I I know the reason why he's not interested because if Houston's going to become the governor, let's say Mike appoints himself. Rob steps down. Mike appoints himself. John Houston immediately becomes governor. Who becomes lieutenant governor? Yeah. Well, there is no line of succession, so nope. there being he could have picked somebody, and who will pick is Frank LaRose, <coughs> because that is the um, branch of truce between the Columbus Mafia and the Dayton Mafia in politics and yep. the Republican Party. Yep. Because everybody, Frank LaRose is being groomed to be governor, okay? They're a group that are aligned behind John Kasich, who have been grooming him for years to become governor. All right, so... Well, he was governor. It didn't work out so well. Well, no, John was, but I'm talking oh, Frank LaRose. Frank LaRose. They're grooming him, to be, grooming him to be governor. Okay. So you got these guys. Now, the state party chairwoman, Jane Temkin, is now making some indications that she's interested in the U.S. Senate seat. I'm sorry, Jane. What you've done to the Ohio Republican Party has not is not given you a lot of street cred with anybody wanting you to be in that U.S. Senate seat, no. especially if it's a vote. But the point is, why would Mike DeWine want to appoint the state party chairwoman who's backing him at, to try to get him reendorsed for governor if he decides to stay and run in, in 2022? It makes no sense to get rid of her unless you've got somebody lined up even better. What, your daughter? To step into the state party chairmanship? Um, some, of, some of your... Oh, maybe we'll get Amy Acton to call, come back. But you know what? She's looking at it yep. in the U.S. Senate seat from the Democrats. There are a number of Democrats who are trying to recruit the former State Department of Health director, disgraced Dr. Amy Acton, to run on the Democrat ticket. Now, another name in the Democrat side is uh, Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley, who will run on the whole thing about you know gun control because of the Dayton shooting, and who was disappointed that Mike DeWine didn't basically just take everybody's guns away in Ohio unilaterally by an executive order. 
Um, so Nan's going to be, and, and Nan's probably one of the larger, uh, stellar lights that the Democrat Party has. They're also looking at the state house minority leader, Amelia Sykes, uh, from Akron, but, I let me just say, folks, that's a hot mess, and it'll get even messier if they, you try to step up into the U.S. Senate seat. Um, and then also Tim Ryan, who's a congressman from uh, far northeast Ohio, who barely won re-election this last time in Trump country only because his conservative opponent had two other people in the race who siphon votes. Yeah, no. who were all considered "quote unquote" conservative. So that's not going. So Rob Portman is in the catbird seat up until the point that he has to cast a vote on whether or not to convict Donald Trump. That's right. Now, and at the point he does, and if he does do it, watch him step down. Yes. So that somebody else can get appointed. Da 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 da. He can go, and he can go hide. If he doesn't do it, he might stick around till the end of his term, but it's only going to be sitting in the sitting on the back bench because. The Democrats won't give him the time of day if no. they don't if they don't get his vote. No, and uh, um, just that being said, there is an impeachment trial that's going to come up here pretty quick, and we're really short on time. So I'm going to tell you what I think it's all about. Go for it. This is an, an, a backdoor attempt to pass uh, a bill of attainder. Thank you. This is a, and if you don't know what that is, it is a legislative finding of guilt. Now, what does that mean? That means that you basically take a person and you say you are guilty of this crime by a vote of the legislature. And in the old days, what it meant was you lost your estate, you lost your titles, you lost uh, virtually everything, and you were enjoined from ever doing things like having higher office again. That's what they want to do. They want to block Donald Trump from ever being able to hold any sort of office again. And ladies and gentlemen, Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution flat out bars. It's not equivocal at all. It says no ex post facto, bill of attainder or ex post facto law or uh, or other uh, uh, laws shall ever be passed. You can't pass a bill of attainder. So that's what they're trying to do. All I got to do is listen to Adam Schiff and uh, Chuck Schumer and yeah. are they're talking about enjoining Donald Trump from ever running for office again. Yeah, it's 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 an ex post facto. It's, it's an ex post facto and a bill of attainder. Which both are constitutionally prohibited. That's so, right. So that's the reason why Trump's not too worried no. about this impeachment. Trial. No. Uh so that being said, you know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And please join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.